This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the digital industry. Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, Director of Research at Wisdom Tree and ETF sponsor. My co-host is Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, Emergency Representative Foresight Fund Services, Professor Siegel is Senior Advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer selling investment products, and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. We are in New York today, not on Wharton's campus, but broadcasting from our SiriusXM headquarters. I have a guest with me, Will Peck. Well, he's going to be acting as co-host today. Will Peck is a uh, colleague of mine at Wisdom Tree. Will, thanks for joining me here in New York. Great to be here, Jeremy. Thank you. We're going to get into some of your background and why you're here with us, uh, but we're also going to be talking with uh, an expert on the blockchain, part of the new fintech space. He's on his way into our, our studio now. Um, so we can get, get started, though, quickly, Professor Siegel. Uh, there's been a very volatile week uh, with a lot going on in the markets. Um, you know, you had, at the beginning of the year said we were going to expect volatility as we got interest rates rising. We're getting to uncertainty around the midterm elections. It seems like all that that you started telling us at the beginning of the year is upon us. Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're right. You know, when we, we talked last, I, I said this was going to be a challenge, these rising rates, um, and they are. Uh, is it the end of the world? No. <laughs> um, but, uh, 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 you know, you know we, we, we've talked about the fact that there's a lot of trend followers in the market. There's a lot of momentum is like the new factor that everyone loves. So people ride gains. And when you get riding gains, you get these trends. Um, and But when the trend is broken, you get sharp downward movements. We saw that. Uh, really, in uh, you know, much worse than we're seeing now uh, in uh, the late January and early February, but we're seeing it a little bit now. Again, a lot of trend followers, um, you know, have you know jumped off as a result of uh, you know breaking their trends. They rode the train, they got profits. They didn't quite get as much as they want, but that's what they want to do is lock in something, and then you get out. So you know, this is maybe the types of markets we you know, might be looking at in the future. And although they kind of make headlines, you know, do they matter to a long-run investor? They, they really shouldn't. I'm a, so let's say, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the market could go lower from today, could bounce back. Actually, just in the last hour, we've had 100 point. Uh, looks like the Dow was sinking again and sort of now has uh, rallied again 100 points. It, it, for a long-term investor, there are sound values here. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you've, you know, got your long-term portfolio set up and your IRAs and 401ks and pension plans and I don't get that, you know, don't touch it. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Um, uh, we've had a big decline in emerging markets. Now we've talked about opportunities in emerging markets for a long time. Of course, these opportunities keep on getting better and better. 
Um, uh, you know, some have called it like once in a lifetime opportunities in emerging markets right now. If you, you know, can take some short-term volatility, um, and uh, uh, you know, you're apt to be rewarded going uh, going forward. Um, in the U.S. market, we're not cheap, but uh, you know, as I said before, we're just about fair market value in in terms of a long term, and that's a that's a good seven and a half percent return, including inflation. Looking forward, uh, three to five years, uh, you can't get that in anything else that's anywhere near as liquid uh, as stocks. So, in the short run, you know, there's the cross currents. What's going to happen to interest rates? What's going to happen to trade? You know, China's still on the table, uh, you know, with potential increases. But I, I think also there's, uh, and we've talked about this, I've, I've said for many weeks that I thought 2019 earnings on the S&P were too optimistic, um, and, and maybe even fourth quarter is too optimistic. And uh, I think that one of the things that spurred the decline was, you know, when a firm like PPG sort of warned we're seeing softness, we're about China, um, we're getting markdowns in um, some of the fourth quarter estimates uh, in 2019. We did not get that for the first six months of the year. So it's a sort of a, a, a you, you got a kind of a, a double whammy climate of worrying about interest rates, also worrying about trade, and also worried about <laughs> earnings softening. And when they gang up on each other, uh, you have a reaction like this. Yeah, the, the market just seemed to roll over. There didn't seem to be any like new news. Like we knew the Fed was hiking, we knew there were trade issues, um, but it just seemed to the new quarter yeah. came and all rolled over. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we we I, I was a little surprised that when when you know, when the when the ten year broke above three. Now it had been above three before, but went quickly below, and then broke above three ten, three fifteen. It was like, oh, hey, we don't care about that. And I was saying, ooh, you know, maybe you should take a look at that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're feeling so strong, you know, the, the first body blows don't take you down. <laughs> then when a couple other things say, oh, maybe I should worry about that. And, uh, oh, my God, the Fed is going to hike in December and three more hikes there. And the short-term rate is going to go, you know, over to 3%. And then, you know, all the bad scenarios start uh, cascading uh, down upon you. I mean, we had VIX that... Uh, you know, is in the upper 20s now. I mean, anything above 20 is, is, a, is a fear climate. It's not extreme fear. I mean, we were over 40 in February when we took that real sharp drop, um, you know, temper, you know, during that time period. And we're going to, again, we're, you know, this, this market's always, markets are always going to be subject to uh, factors like uh, this. Now, of course, we also had, you know, Trump, of course, who's been basking in this huge bull market over the last, uh, well, basically since his presidency, uh, you know, is, you know, now now has to find someone to blame when it goes down. Take it on Powell. He's, he's taking on your Fed <laughs> crazy, people, Professor. The crazy, the crazy, the crazy Fed. Most people, you know, are ignoring that. You know, he's, he, he, on his saner moments when he doesn't want to use hyperbole, he says, Oh, I think they're doing an okay job. Uh, I wish they wouldn't hike as much, while, uh, you know, et cetera, and so on. Um, now, you know, we, we've stressed here from, you know, the beginning of our show years ago that the, the, the Fed always digests what data is coming through. Now, um, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get the third quarter estimate of, of GDP, and it's going to look really good. It looks like it's going to be in the high threes. However, 
Um, I, uh, everyone I'm looking at is looking only for the high twos in the fourth quarter and something around two and a half in next year. Now, it might be too early to judge, but there there is that slowdown. So, you know, when you take a look at earnings up 10 to 15 percent, you say, well, where is that really coming from? And I think, you know, when, when there's beginning to be that, those, those, those doubts, uh, uh, you know, in, coming, coming in the market. The truth of the matter is, is that, the, you know, if there is a sharp slowdown, like if much more than they expect, the Fed will defer. They're, they, you know, they're, they're not locked into stone on, on any decision. Um, uh, and uh, so, you know, there's, they're looking at everything that's going on in the market also. I mean, the big debate among the people at the Fed is, tomorrow, we know the labor market is extremely tight. <laughs> I mean, the unemployment rate down to 3.7, the 49-year low, uh, everything else is very, very tight. We, don't, we see wages increase, but not really excessively, and we certainly don't see prices increase. Now, CPI coming out one-tenth kind of calmed the market, um, a couple of days ago, uh, the truth of the matter was there's some special factors that might factor into three-tenths increase in, in this coming month. But n- nonetheless, we really don't see an acceleration of inflation. So the big debate is should we you know, wait to see the whites of the eye of inflation before we really shoot on the Fed funds? But then we've got a whole history of monetary economists say that's too late. Monetary policy works with a lag. If you wait to see the, uh, you know, the eyes of inflation, whites of the eyes of inflation, it's too late. I mean, the momentum will have built up, and you're going to have to apply even more medicine later on, which is even tighter. So, uh, you know, I mean, we, unfortunately, you know, we don't have complete control of the economy. We never did. We will never have complete control over any market economy. We have to accept these ups and downs. The Fed can only do as well as it can do. But, uh, you know, history says that you, you can't just wait completely until inflation is undeniable. Um, that's like waiting for all the symptoms to turn into a really serious fever before you treat the problem. Yeah. Now, the, the guest we're going to have on today, um, so transitioning a little bit from, from just market commentary here, we have somebody who's doing a lot of work on this new fin- financial technology, developing new tokenization platforms, the blockchain, the bitcoins, and all sorts of new ways of financing businesses. Uh, Nori Orbini was testifying this week on these type of issues. Uh, curious on for your before he joins us just in a moment, any high level thoughts, anything you've seen in those markets or any commentary you'd want to add to that uh, to that conversation we're about to have? Well, you know, I've talked about that I've never been a fan of Bitcoin, of the coins as substituting meaningfully for monetary transactions. Um, I am uh, very interested in blockchain, uh, and I see that moving forward on on many, many different fronts. Um, uh, I do also hope that these Crypto. I mean, I love competition anywhere, and you know we can do a much better job at our transfer technology within our banking system. Um, you know, the, the, we've talked about the craziness of you know three, three, two and a half, three percent charges to merchants, and then two percent back to the the customers. I mean, when when really we can transfer liquidity at almost you know two three basis points um and really revolutionize our our system even under current even without blockchain so uh you know there's there's lots of reforms i love competition um uh but i i don't think uh 
Bitcoin or any other of the cryptocurrencies is ready for prime time. Well, very good. On that note, we're going to turn it over to our guest. Professor, thanks for joining us for some market commentary. Thank you. So for the for the next hour, we have two guests in the New York studio with us. Uh, Syed Hussein, who's the chief commercial officer for BankX. Welcome to our SiriusXM studios. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. We also have Will Peck uh, from cor- on our corporate strategy team at Wisdom Tree. Um, Will, maybe just briefly introduce yourself, your background, uh, how you came to Wisdom Tree, and, and, and sort of the role you're playing on the corporate strategy side. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks, Chair. It's great to finally be on the show. Um, so my title is uh, Director of Corporate Strategy at the firm. So I work with our executive team and other business leaders to really help drive and enable firm strategy. Uh, so I've been with the firm for uh, four years now. Prior to this, I was at uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch in investment banking. I covered financial institutions, so primarily insurers, asset management companies, but also a little bit of fintech. So I think the conversation today will be uh, really additive on top of all that. Um, so some of the stuff I work on is really any sort of new initiatives or kind of interesting stuff that's happening in both our sector and elsewhere in kind of the financial institutions, financial services uh, industry. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. Syed, I I thought when I saw what BankX does and uh, sort of revolutionizing corporate finance and finance, I thought bring one of our bankers and uh, the corporate strategy side. No, I think I, I agree. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. So, so maybe tell us tell us your background. Said how tell us a little bit about what, how you just how you got to BankX, and before we get into just all the history of what what BankX is doing. Sure, sure. So my background it's uh, my background. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started off on the uh, on the high tech side, so I've always been in technology in one facet or the other. And I started off um, with right when the dot-com boom was kicking off. So my first company I launched when I was a senior in high school, I'm one of those guys. So it was uh, it was focusing on networking infrastructure. And for me, that was crucial because that's right around the time when the dot-com boom was going off, my focus was towards, I always believed in focusing on the pipes and plumbing and infrastructure was what was la- lacking. And if you fast forward to where we are today in the blockchain space, that's exactly where we are right now. There is, there's a lot of talk around, there's a lot, a lot of hype that's surrounding it. But again, infrastructure is something that's lacking. So um, BankX, with what we're doing is we are in, our focus is on building the pipes and plumbing for the blockchain space. And our primary focus initially is to focus on the capital market. So what we like to say is that we are bringing capital markets onto the blockchain. And you'll notice I didn't say that we're bringing blockchain to the capital markets. And it's very, very purposeful because this is a, this is really, it's a, it's a new foundation that's being laid laid out right now. And, and uh the vast majority of the capital markets are going to be coming onto the blockchain. And we're, we're here to ensure that we're at the forefront of helping partnering up with these folks and, and helping them get into this market. For, for the listeners who may not be familiar with the blockchain itself, you want to sort of describe what, what it is and what's, what's exciting about it? Sure. So the best way to explain it to the, to, to the layperson is think about it for, from three components. There, it's, it's secure. It's decentralized and then it's distributed. So the security piece is one of the most important pieces. So if you hear the term cryptocurrency, the crypto pieces touches upon that 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 security. So anyone who's a technologist or even someone who's not a non-technologist, if you're into watching movies or something, you're you always hear about these cryptographers, these hackers, right? It's so so it's a cryptography is all about security. So that's where the the crypto piece comes into it. So with blockchain, the, the, the foundations of the protocol itself is something which is highly, highly secure. Um, then it's it's 
all this information, all the data that's captured, that's stored, it's not unlike most database systems. It's not centralized. It's decentralized. So it's, it's spread out across the board. And then finally, it's distributed as well. So there's a decentralization aspect of it, which, which is the core elements of the data themselves. And then it's distributed. So all of these different databases that you have, it's not a single database. It's it's distributed across a variety of different nodes that could be sitting out, uh, that, that, that could be an individual's computer or could be sitting out in server racks anywhere in the world. And, and for BankX, I mean, how are you plugging into your own blockchain technology or using existing other ledgers that are out there? How does that all work? So we don't build our own ledger. So we, BankX doesn't have its own ledger. What we're looking at is we're looking at existing ledgers. Now, there's a variety of different blockchains that exist, right? We, we were it was just uh, as... Uh, as you made the intro to me, we were talking about Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is uh, is, is a different blockchain uh, ledger technology. There is uh, then there's there's the other there's the Ethereum blockchain. There's the EOS blockchain. There's there's a variety of different blockchains. For us, we are blockchain. We're technology agnostic, and what we're looking at is we're looking at specific use cases for where, where it fits in. And again, our job is to come in and ensure that a there's a valid use case for for implementation of the blockchain, and then we're we're there we're here to make the connections and and, and bring bring them onto the markets. Is it just kind of the already existing blockchains or do you actually help set up different companies setting up their own blockchains? Like one of the kind of the, so you mentioned the decentralized distributed nature of it. And one of the costs of that is it requires a lot of energy, just electricity to kind of ensure that that works and a lot of these distributed ledgers. What about in terms of just two banks setting up a blockchain between them to help make a process more efficient, has a little bit more lower cost, but it loses some of that decentralized nature of it? Yeah, yeah. The, and, and again, so let me take a step back here and let's 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 talk a little bit more at the foundational level. So it's to me it's very interesting whenever I'm hearing these conversations transpire. It's a lot of people tend to treat the blockchain world as if it's a very very mature industry. And quite the contrary, it's a very nascent industry right now. So all of these, all of these, uh, the, these underlying blockchain technologies that are there, they're just getting started. So they're still trying to figure out, navigate, and sort of figure out where they belong. So when we, when, when you're talking about the energy, the energy intense usage of it, that's that's one type of technology, right? Which is which is really what we call a proof of work. So proof of work, the way that the, the proof of work. Uh, is 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 structured is that it requires some sort of a proof and that that proof needs to be uh, proven by the amount of work that you contribute to it and that can that the contribution of that work is what the underlying with, with is what we call the mining the mining itself and that's what consumes a lot of technology look we're this is an industry that's only that's only been around for less than uh you know just i it's we're coming upon a decade now uh so in the overall grand scheme of things it's something which there's a lot of Folks that are trying to figure out how to uh, how to how to improve it, how to make it even more p- efficient, right? So we go from proof of work. There's proof of stake. There's all kinds of different proofs that are that are that are going to be coming in. So um, that's for the larger blockchain. With a lot of the the private organizations, um, they don't want to be onto the public blockchain. And the analogy that I like to draw is if you go back to when the when the internet age was just coming about. Companies were very, very cautious about coming onto the internet, right? And and when I say, and it could sound surprising to the vast majority of the listeners that are that may be hearing me right now, like who, what onto the internet? What company would 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 not want to go on there? But we're thinking about it in today's terms when everyone has accepted and adopted the internet. Most of these companies at that time didn't want to go onto the internet, so the way that they started out wasn't onto the internet directly. They started out by building their own internal 
local networks, right, what we would call LANs. And then they started to expand out and they started to expand out to different divisions within the organizations. Then when it started to reach a point of maturity, you went from one network communicating with another network outside of your local area network. And then eventually you started going into wide area networks and then eventually you graduated onto the internet. That's exactly how uh, I'm seeing the the evolution of the blockchain space start to evolve. Yes, Bitcoin came in. Yes, Ethereum came in. These are all public blockchains. But I think uh, most organizations, and again, you're talking to someone who is a blockchain evangelist here, but someone who's also a pragmatist. Uh, so my background also uh, is, is I come from the I come from the capital market side as well. Uh, and one thing sitting in these organizations, we have to we have to keep in mind is that they're very very risk averse. So they have to be extremely cautious about what kind of new technologies they're going to implement, especially when you're talking about something that is that's that's available. Uh, for the public to easily consume. So what's starting to happen here is to your point earlier is a lot of these smaller blockchains when what we call them is we, they're they're called private blockchains. So organizations have their own private blockchains. Now of course the um the drawback to that is that it's a smaller network and if there's a smaller network then the 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 verification and the validation is going to take a hit but if it's done within a trusted environment in which there's a smaller group of people and you're not broadcasting out to the vast majority, then there's a certain element of trust that's already inherent in it. So that's the way that I'm seeing the evolution. You're gonna you're gonna start to have smaller private blockchains. Then they're you're, then you're gonna start to have. And, and by the way, this is also starting to happen now. Is you have consortiums of different banks of different financial institutes that are coming together and saying, for this particular use case, let's come up with a blockchain. And then eventually, I think they're gonna end up graduating to to an actual public blockchain. Like let, it's funny. Let me, let, actually... me, let me just reintroduce our guest here. We're talking with Syed Hussein, the chief commercial officer for BankX, and I just and Will Peck, who's the director of corporate strategy at Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Go ahead, Will. Oh, great. I was just going to say, I was actually speaking with somebody else in the asset management industry recently who was saying, yeah, I think one of the use cases for this would be bank loans, right? Is bank loans are a very difficult product to trade right now. We have counterparties that we trade with where it's just a time-intensive, kind of labor-intensive process, something that doesn't settle frequently and kind of there's an illiquidity there. And they thought, thought setting up kind of private blockchains between two different parties could really solve a lot of this. So interested in kind of that may be very relevant, may not be relevant for this discussion, but I was interested in that. Yeah, you yeah, know, it is. It is. And, and, and I'll talk about something which will uh, probably make a lot of people cringe who, who, who may be, the, uh, who may be the, uh, the Bitcoin or the crypto naysayers out there, which is there's actually a developing market around this space as well. And it's called crypto lending. And of course, that's, that's, that's crypto to crypto. But in this instance, what we're talking about is fiat to fiat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, look, blockchain is the... Uh, Blockchain is is a technology. It's a protocol, and it's a protocol that allows you to make things extremely efficient. And uh, and you know, in, in terms of talking about use cases, just prior to this, I was with a uh, I was with a, a very a fairly decent sized uh, bank uh, financial institute. Can't say the name uh, of them on air yet, but shout out to uh, shout out to Mark, who uh, I was just I was just speaking with, and 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 with these guys, what. What we were talking about use cases and and settlements was one of the things just bank to bank settlements and then also let's not forget within banks within financial institutes we have all kinds of um, all kinds of reconciliations and this is another play that blockchain as a technology is going to is going to come in and it's going to make a tremendous tremendous impact on because think about what blockchain does 
blockchain, and right now we're talking about it at a with, with the cryptocurrency markets and what Bitcoin has has displayed, and a lot of the talk has been around disintermediation at the macro level, right? So a lot of people are talking about it, and a lot of concern is okay. Well, what, what's what's that going to do to government? What's that going to do to the regulatory agencies, and and you know so on and so forth. I want to bring the conversation down to a micro level. So, and this goes back to your question: for an organization operating at the micro level, there are all these, there's all these, uh, all of these transactions and all of these intermediaries that even sit inside. Whether those intermediaries are divisions, or whether they're systems, or whether whether they're um, at, at the departmental level, no matter how granular granular you get. There are always going to be some sort of dis- intermediaries that exist there. What, well, in comes blockchain, and if you can introduce the blockchain protocol and you put, you could put these processes and these systems onto the blockchain, then all of a sudden these internal processes start to get disintermediated as well. So some use cases for internal organizations or internal use cases for organizations where this is going to completely make a massive change on are are all of these internal systems, whether it's on the settlement side, whether it's on the reconciliation side, post-trade, pre-trade, KYC, AML. I mean, just just think about think about the impact that something like that is going to have in our existing in in, in the way things work currently. So let me um, try to get to some examples from BankX's website of what, of how you guys are are funding different platforms. And I, I thought it was an interesting one that's sort of on the in the main page of your website, Movie Movie Coin. So Hollywood two point the fintech platform for the entertainment industry. So I guess it's hard to invest in movies or businesses you don't feel like, or that this Movie Coin is designed to help raise capital in a new way. If I'm understanding it correct, but maybe you could describe what is Movie Coin? How is Powered by BankX, what is your role in MovieCoin? Uh, this is as a starting off point there. Of course, of course. So, so with BankX, what we are the BankX, we are the guys behind the proof of asset protocol. That is the that is the foundation behind who we are. And what the proof of asset protocol, what that essentially allows you to do is is it allows you to validate whether a specific asset actually exists or not. So, what does that mean? What's the value? If securitization, securitization is nothing new, right? It's something that's been that's been around for a while, and uh, and I would I would I would also say that it apparently securitization one was something that didn't necessarily pan out as we would have liked it to pan out, and that's what led to the that's what led to the uh, the subprime crisis, which was. But if you go back Pulling to it, mortgages, that's and right, selling it off in bits and pieces that sort of everybody all the all the. Banks and institutions funding these would pull up the mortgages and split it up into different pieces. Which was a brilliant concept, right? Conceptually, that's fantastic. The problem becomes when you start to take these these highly complex instruments, these highly complex uh, assets that are that are underneath them. How are you going to validate those assets if the more, especially the more and more complicated that they start to get? So there was no, I shouldn't say there was no validation mechanism, right? Because there's always a validation mechanism. The question is, how long does it take you to validate these? And if it's going to take you months and months and months to, to to validate something, is it pragmatic? And that's exactly what the problem that that, that that's what the problem was with, with with the securitization market, where these things were so complex. In order to look inside what was what was good versus bad, and and to validate whether the ratings were were according to what someone professed for these things to be, how do you get that? You couldn't get that. You couldn't get that answer. Well, this is where a protocol like uh, like blockchain comes in and stands to make a difference. And this is where our proof of asset protocol makes the biggest difference because what what that allows you to do is you're able to when you can when you can digitize. It's an asset, whether it's a real asset, whether it's an intellectual asset, physical asset, 
and then you're able to tokenize it, but tokenize it in a way where the actual asset itself is able to be validated and you can verify the existence of it. Well, all of a sudden now, the concept of what securitization was supposed to be is 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 is, is what it you're going back and you're essentially delivering on that, right, for what it was supposed to be. And that is what why we call the tokenization of, of this leveraging the proof of asset protocol. We call this securitization 2.0. This is the next wave of securitization, which is going to allow you to validate and verify. So what that allows you to do is if you can do that to one specific asset class, you could do it to any asset class. And as a part of that, we're BankX is in the process of our vision is to build the internet of assets. So we're creating new asset classes, which will allow for essentially for four things to uh, to, to to take place, right? Or, or for you, four elements that you're going to hit upon: accessibility, transparency, security, and liquidity. And think about this. These four things could be applied, like I said, to any asset class. So the first use case that we started to institutionalize was MovieCoin. We went to one, – one thing that we noted was that when you talk about inefficient industries, uh, Hollywood was was a prime target for that. So what we did was we partnered up with uh, with with one of the leading producers in Hollywood, Chris, Christopher Woodrow, He's uh, the guy behind Hacksaw Ridge, Black Mass, uh, and the uh, Oscar-winning Birdman. <clears throat> and and we partnered up uh, with him. They understand him, him and his team. They understand the Hollywood side. We are the guys that understand the technology side. So we partnered up as a as a part of a joint venture called MovieCoin. And what MovieCoin, the first use case within MovieCoin that we're looking to solve for is we're building a platform in which you're you're allowing for uh, you're creating a new tranche of products, which is going to be there's two aspects to it. There is the actual platform itself, the MovieCoin platform, and then there is going to be the MovieCoin Smart Fund, which is going to be tokenized investments. Uh, tokenized. Think of it as equity investments inside of a uh, inside of a, a, a smart fund itself. Which immediately you're right now in the movie industry. If you are looking to finance a film, there are so much paperwork that's involved. So much, so much legal components of it. We're immediately able to take from about 150 different legal contracts. We're able to consolidate those into 10 smart contracts. Let me uh, just hit pause here for a moment. We're talking with Syed Hussein, who's the Chief Commercial Officer at BankX. We have Will Peck, Director of Corporate Strategy at Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You're listening to Behind the Markets. We're just talking about the tokenization of movies and the Hollywood entertainment industry and for all the different reasons that Syed thinks tokenization can help solve a lot of the fundraising for what's been hard to access for people. Um, so we want to just continue that thread about why the tokenization is really a unique structure and what it's really bringing to get help help movie entrepreneurs raise capital. Sure. So I spoke about uh, – before before we went on the break, I was talking about one issue, which is bringing efficiency into the markets and how blockchain technology can allow you to bring efficiency into the markets, right? So out of those, let's say, 150 different legal documents – and imagine if it's 150 different legal documents, that means there's 150 different conversations that you're having. Now multiply that with the – with the amount of individuals or organizations that are involved in there, right? Tax firms, legal firms, all that. And if you're able to consolidate that down into 10 smart contracts, and a smart contract is something that's where, where the rules have been defined, so you're taking the human element out of it as, as much as possible. So if you're able to do that, imagine the amount of efficiency that you're able to introduce. Well, the moment you introduce efficiency into something like that, what does that translate to? That translates into 
profits that that's that that's has a direct impact on your bottom line so by tokenizing by tokenizing a film financing or or, or putting films through on on a tokenized platform such as a movie coin just from and, and I'm not even I haven't even gotten to the fundraising part yet right mm-hmm. most people when they are looking at blockchain that's the first thing that they're looking at is the fundraising component but I'm here to remind everyone that fundraising is one very small aspect of it. Now, the fundraising part is is very, very it's, – it's a very real aspect because, look, at the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to, right? Everyone needs money. Everyone needs access to, to these markets. But not just getting access to capital, but even the capital that's sitting out there getting access to these prestigious industries. And Hollywood is, again, a prime example of that. Hollywood is something that's very, very sexy. Very sexy. Everyone wants to get involved in it in some way, shape, or form. I want to. Hey, I want to rub shoulders with the stars. Uh, I want to. I want to be able to have my picture next to, uh, or have my name next to a movie poster or something. I, I want to be associated with that. But gaining access to this uh, to this industry has generally not been very very easy. Again, tokenization by blockchain. Is it, it breaks down the barriers to accessibility. Um, it gives access to those who previously did not have access to. So you're creating new markets to that. Then on top of that, here's another interesting thing that I've learned through my journey within the uh, within the entertainment space. Because I, I mentioned to you, I come from the high tech side, and then I come from the capital market side. Where I do not come from is I do not come from the uh, the the entertainment space or from the from the, the Hollywood side. The actors, yeah. the actresses. <laughs> that's that's not me. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> I wouldn't know it. So. So these, so these uh, working on MovieCoin has been it's it's just been such an educational experience for an outsider like myself. And one term that's constantly been thrown around that I that I heard when I got in there was this term called Hollywood finance or Hollywood accounting. Hmm. And I'm like, ooh, Hollywood accounting that sounds fancy. That sounds cool. Fake profits, but <laughs> exactly, Hollywood accounting is actually a negative term. I and it, it doesn't sound like that because generally you would assume to you you would associate Hollywood anything with being a positive thing. But well, not when it comes to accounting. And I'm sure there's a couple of folks out there that would that would say that accounting in general is probably not a good term. <laughs> it's probably a negative term. But Hollywood accounting is what basically what. In the, the gist of it is that what it means is is you put your money into a Hollywood film, and it and and the laws of Hollywood accounting apply, which is essentially your it goes inside of a it goes inside of a black hole. No one knows what's what's going on with the money. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, well, here's what it is, and here's here, here's what that's happening. But the what or the how, no one knows. So it goes into this black box, and and there's a lack of transparency that's that's that there is no transparency again blockchain blockchain solves for that very full problem which is full transparency and you worry with sexy anything that's sexy the everybody wants to get in a rush of capital and maybe bad investments so maybe cautious for people who want to invest in these uh fundraising but different different what are the other areas um besides movies i also saw you guys are potentially doing some stuff in real estate real estate's another one where contracts and transfer payments and all these documents where it's been very intransparent in real estate is that i hear that's another place where the blockchain might help improve all these sort of frictions of of transactions Massive, massive. I mean, I, again, uh, I just bought a house uh, about a year ago. Thank you. Uh, it was a year ago. Painful. But it, it, yeah, <laughs> Still, congratulations. It probably, it probably it felt like it took me a year just to close it. Yeah. Right. And that that talks to the frustrations that that you go through. And by the way, I was pre qualified. I I had everything. I'm ready to go. 
and I'm here I am standing and and here was the most difficult for me the most frustrating part of it is there were times where I was able to look up laws and rules and regulations on the internet and I was explaining it to the people that I was dealing with. That's scary. When a layperson like me knows more about the market than the professionals that are involved in that, right? So when you talk about inefficiencies in a market, real estate is highly inefficient across the board, not just in terms of purchasing, but also post purchase, right? And and you come from the you come from from from, from the other side, which is on, on, on the post purchase side, what what what's happening with that? And we were just talking earlier about the whole subprime fiasco uh, that had taken place uh, nearly almost about a decade ago. So all those things are are ripe for innovation. There's, again, transparency and then also disintermediation. Disintermediation through a framework that's already been decided upon. A lot of this stuff that's happening, it's very, very repetitive, extremely repetitive stuff that you know, one you go to one person, they're doing the same exact thing, but because it's their firm, now they have to go. They're they're gonna tell you to go go to someone else, and sometimes it feels like it's collusion. They're just trying to take money from you. So, where's the opportunity for BankX in that space? Is it in the contract side? Is it in like where do you think you're gonna spend your efforts? So, so that's 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 actually a very interesting question because we're we're the the short answer is. Everywhere, the the really the where the difficulty comes yeah is is mm-hmm. the difficulty comes in is is in prioritization. So right now, and and and, and I'll sort of do uh give give you guys a little bit of a, an insight into there's going to be an, an announcement forthcoming about a partnership that uh, Bank X is going to be announcing with with the purely well established players in the uh, in in the real estate uh, awesome. industry. And and one of the discussions that we're having with them is okay. Look, we want to take over the world, right? This, this is they're they're oogling. They're like, oh my god, this is something we can get done, and that's something that we can get. And here's something that we can get done. And I'm like, guys, we we can do all these things, but there's a problem, right? It's it's uh, I have limited resources. <laughs> I don't have. Got to walk first, right? We got to walk first. So, what are the prime targets that we're going after? So, there are some low hanging fruits here that we can target. The first of them is MERS. Um, that's that that's that's. That's a, a, a pretty big one. The other one that what is that MERS? MERS. So that is how the, um, uh, the 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 mortgage real estate. It's it's a protocol essentially. Uh, I shouldn't say protocol. These guys don't have protocols. Um, I'm talking more like a technologist. It's 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 a it's a guideline. It's it's guidelines that allow these uh, real estate uh, real estate transactions to occur. So for when you're getting a mortgage, I have to call up my bank and say I need to borrow a few hundred thousand dollars to buy this house, and they have to document all these things, and I guess send them my paperwork. Is that part so? Of it? So yeah. So all the so the one thing that it's it's going to be ripe for is digitization of actual. It's, it's a very analog industry, right? Everything that's happening, they try to go digital, uh, but what's lacking there right now is again the verification, the validation. Sure, I can, I can. I can there's no honor system that exists. If you tell me that this is your this is your document, okay, well what how do I know that it's not a forged mm. document? So again, that's something that blockchain once you've once why can't there be a document? Why can't there be a central blockchain or central repository? The paperwork. I tell you my mortgage, you have mm. all my assets at one firm. They should know how much I do. I really need to fill in ten paperwork, all these different forms. They should just know and you would, button, right? You would think that, right? So this is where the centralized. Remember, I spoke about the de- decentralized component of the so there was the secured, there's decentralized, and there's distributed. This is where the decentralized aspect comes in. Right now, in your example, the problem is that they have uh, 
you've you've gone through all let's say your KYC you've gone through all the documents that you've you've that the, someone has asked for you've given it to a bank well they have it sitting out in their in their database they will honor it because they've gone through their checks but you walk to a bank next door or you talk to someone who's an intermediary that doesn't necessarily deal with this bank they may be yeah. dealing with another bank they're not going to honor that because they're going to have you go through the same stuff even though you could be ripping your the hair out of your skull and like let's I, i've already done this right because it's it's in a central location that's owned by that institution mm-hmm. but imagine if there was a decentralized location in which you were you were putting it and everyone had agreed that yes this is the central store that we're uh, or this is the this is this is a verified uh, place where i can i can get all my documents whatever it is it's been validated it's gotten the seal of approval and this is something that i'm going to i'm going to honor if you can do that just think about all the just just within that space Think about, for example, um, which uh, who are the guys that uh, notaries? Think mm-hmm. about the impact that this would have on on uh, on dealing with notaries, right? There's really there's you notarize once, someone validates it, they put it onto the blockchain. It's on the blockchain, it's validated, it's there forever. And if there's any changes that have ever gone into it, which by the way, which could happen, what happens if you want to change your last name, right? Uh, what happens if you want to change your middle name or, or anything like that? So there are changes that are there. But that lineage is forever tracked. Now you don't have to go back and and and, and get validations around that as well. Because if you've ever tried changing your name, uh, or if you know of someone that's tried changing their name, you'll know that that's a completely different nightmare to to deal with as well. So it's these kinds of changes that, again, in the real estate in- industry, that's that's ripe for innovation. And then also post. Uh, post-selling of the property in the secondary markets, um, home equity loans, the, the HELOC market. That's a completely different process altogether. And again, there's uh, there's there's a, a ton of processes that we're looking at on that side uh, to, to to tackle as well. And then there is uh, then there's the packaging, the, the actual securitization of the of the loans themselves when they go out, right? The the ratings for that. Securitization 3.0, 4.0. Well, I would still call it 2.0 for now. <laughs> it would still be 2.0 right now. We're talking with a... Syed Hussein, who's the chief commercial officer of BankX, Will Peck, director of corporate strategy for Wisdom Tree. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. And is I there a... off again. Is there a uh, privacy concern with this? I mean, so we're going through that example and, you know, Jeremy fills out all his paperwork, he gives it to his bank, you know, a lot of personal information. And there is some, maybe it's a false sense of security, but some sense of security uh, that, oh, no, it's kind of kept in this one place. It's not being shared with the world, but that does have these efficiency concerns. So how do you kind of solve this privacy concern with having stuff on the blockchain and being able to more easily share it and verify it other places? So I'll try not to get overly technical here um but uh, let me just uh, let me just put it to you this way the blockchain protocol and and, and the the levels of cryptography that are there are are the kind uh, the level of uh, of security that goes into that is beyond what what m- the vast majority of institutions who we trust our data with today are are even leveraging so in order to break into that it's it's can it be broken into? Anything can be done, but the cost of breaking it into is 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 going to be massive. So anything can be done, right? Um, but the question is, is it financially viable for someone to try to break into that and do that? Then on top of that, that's again one aspect of it, right? That's the security piece of it. Then the then the thing is, let's suppose you do actually go into something and you you break it, and and I know this isn't. I'm sort of 
shifting directions here because it doesn't talk about privacy. But even if someone were to go in and attack the data and want to manipulate that data, go ahead. You can manipulate it even if you've reached that level. If you've manipulated it, it goes back onto the blockchain. Remember, there's a record of who's actually manipulated it and then the distributed mechanism of it. What what that's going to do is that's going to prevent people from accepting it. And if people can't verify it, if the vast majority of the network has not verified that this transaction is actually legitimate, it's never going to, it's going to get rejected and it's never going to be even be on the blockchain. But to go back to... Now on this, on this concern area, I mean, I and I'm, I'm not an expert on this topic at any means, but I, I know like in, in, the, in the Bitcoin world, all the, there's all these miners who are mining Bitcoin. And the idea is you need all this super fast computing power. So like the next, like you'll know who develops quantum computing when the superpower computers, whoever's winning all the Bitcoin mines. Um, and so is that related to this, that quantum computing is what's breaks all this stuff if sure. somebody comes up with that uh, sure sure i mean listen uh, if 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 you can if if you can teleport yourself from here to paris in the blink of an eye is uh, you know am i going to be concerned about that sure when when teleportation is here absolutely it's quantum computing is very real right it is it is coming china is going to be the one to do it whether it's china or whether it's whether it's russia whether it's japan wh- whoever it is as it's starting as it's going to come about what look this is Innovation breeds innovation, and uh, and and blockchain is a perfect example of that, right? Blockchain was something that was, it was not something that was proactive, right? Blockchain was something that was reactive. It was reactive to the inefficiency that that existed in the current state of the market, and so people leveraged technology to react to that and come up with a better solution around it. The moment when we start to get to a point where quantum computing uh, is uh, is becomes a real a real legitimate threat, and it starts to it starts to pose uh, a risk towards getting into these in, into the cryptography and being able to break it fairly easily, which is still pragmatic and practical and viable financially for you to be able to do. There's going to be there's I can guarantee you there's going to be people that are at the forefront coming up with blockchains on uh, that are a solution for quantum quantum computing or another technology that's going to come about. One other thing I, I think, um, so we've talked about tokenization and capital raising and uh, cryptocurrencies. I think a lot of people might be wondering, is this an ICO, which has been an initial coin offering, something that's been in the news a lot, can be controversial in some ways. Uh, we were talking about this over break. Maybe it's worth just for uh, kind of the lay people out there explaining how you guys are doing stuff similar to ICOs, not doing ICOs. What exactly is the difference between that and what uh, BankX is doing? Sure, sure. So... So for for those who may not be aware of what an ICO is, um, I'm sure every, most people have at least heard of the term IPO, which is initial public offering. And and, and again, for for the layperson, the uh, an IPO is 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 there's various reasons why you would want to do it. But let's not kid ourselves. The primary reason why you want to do it is to capital raise. Uh, fundraising is a primary piece because you get access to public markets. Um, it just so happens that these public markets, again, where they've evolved, where they we've when they first started out, versus where we are today, and we're a couple of decades into this, right? Um, uh, nearly over, over actually beyond a couple of decades, almost almost a century into this, where IPOs are have have are heavily scrutinized, they're heavily regulated, and uh, and and what with the advent of blockchain technology what that allowed people to do was by leveraging technology they came up with a new way to 
fundraise, which was ICOs, where if you can digitize the utilization of a future technology or a future concept that you have, I can sell you those future services. And what I will do is I will, I will estimate what the value of my future services is going to be and then I will tokenize those into what I call coins and now what you can do is you can buy in it's like buying a share in a company but I shouldn't use the term share because it's not actual equity it's the utility of that specific of that specific transaction that's going to occur so the value behind that those were essentially what ICOs were so ICOs were with, with companies that wanted to fundraise, they created a mechanism in which they're described. They would generate a white paper, which would, which is the equivalent of what we would call a business plan, um, in traditional terms. Except it was very technical because it actually got got into the mechanics of uh, what the what the underlying technology itself would do. And uh, and the white paper would describe what the utilization of how this technology would be used, what the business plan around this was, and then what the value for that specific utilization of the technology is going to be. And they, they and, and that was called uh, – they tokenized it, which was uh, either a token or a coin is is what it was. So that was a way for you to, to, to raise capital. So initially when it started off, great way to fundraise, great way for people to – for you to sell your uh, – your, 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 your idea to a mass audience because it was a 24 by 7 market it was digital everyone had access to it problem was that it was again it's a, there was no regulation around it and the reason why there was no regulation around it was because the regulatory authorities were far behind it yeah rubini testified yesterday i'm sure you've seen all of his comments calling it scams and bubbles that people are scammers swindlers and criminals um, that bitcoin is going to zero what what do you say? Well, I'm glad Rubini doesn't own any uh, Bitcoin then, uh, if, if if that's what he believes in. Uh, listen, if that was the case, if you if 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 you stuck with Rubini's uh, uh, comments on on if that's the f- basic philosophy for what's required not to enter a specific market, then Rubini shouldn't be holding any assets because that includes the fixed income market that includes the equities market because there's swindlers scammers um and 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 any other adjective that you would want to use in just about any industry that exists out there wherever there's humans you're going to have you're going to have a penchant for fraud you're going to have a penchant for 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 scams for um for scandals it's always the buyer beware right do your own research do your own due diligence and that goes with that that goes with anything else and this was the problem within the ICO market was that it you were given access to everyone that's that 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 was out there it was in an unregulated market people got in and as but people got in people made foolish decisions because people made foolish decisions right if there is someone comes to you with a stupid idea and uh and and saw their other friends making money they went after it and uh Easy way to get rich. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to make this a referendum on how much the government should regulate certain things versus allowing people to kind of make their own decisions in that. But it was pretty clear in a lot of this stuff that people didn't exactly know what they were getting into and they were uh, ended up getting burned. But I'm sure this is so a we got about bar. the final three or four minutes. But do you want to say what you guys are doing versus the ICOs? Sure, sure. So, so with the ICOs, now that we understand the framework of what what an ICO essentially is. The government started to come in, and and they said, no, we need to regulate this stuff. And uh, and and 
recently there was an announcement around a, a new definition, which is, which is look, what, the, we are considering these things securities. So there's two types of coins. The first one that I spoke about was a utility token, which has no equity interest. Then there's a second type of a coin, which is a security token. So there's a utility token and there's a security token. So what we are focusing on is security tokens because security tokens are the closest towards adhering to the existing SEC standard. So just about every every project that we're engaged in, we ensure that – and by the way, that doesn't mean that there's no utility usage for it. Mm. But anything that there's a utility usage for, until we get clarity within the U.S. markets, we're not doing any utility tokens like inside the U.S. markets. It would be like a – so if you recall what I was saying, the MovieCoin Smart Fund, that's actually, a, uh, that's, that's actually a smart fund that takes security token interest. So these are called STOs or securitized token offerings as opposed to ICOs. So our focus within the U.S. markets are primarily on the STO side. So this would be the idea of like instead of having a certificate that's saying like I own one share of stock, you'd have a token that would kind of grant you that same uh, title to that share of stock, correct? The, that yeah, that would be that would be a good analogy. So final two minutes. Um, any as you think about where you're taking BankX, future of BankX, what are the types of people that should be reaching out to you, and and what you hope the the company accomplishes? So listen. My my parting words here would be that we are moving away. There there is a shift that's uh, I wouldn't say it's coming because it's already here, uh, and that is that the future is going to be where we move away from being a centralized macro economy into decentralized micro economies, and it's going to be an economy of trust. It's going to be an economy of transparency, and it's going to be an economy of regulated trust and transparency, um, and and. The all the sides are going to start to come together. So instead of it being me versus you, it's going to be us versus the actual problem. That's the future, and that's what that's really how we're positioning ourselves. So what we what we're doing is we're working with clients to help them navigate the fog that exists out there because there there there's a lot there's tons of clarity. Anyone that tells you that they have it figured out, run because they're lying to you. No one has it figured out. But what we're here to do is we're help, We're here to help you figure these things out. We're your Sherpa on this to help you navigate through this, 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 this blockchain journey that you guys are looking to embark upon. And if you're not looking to embark upon it, I will say uh, get ready. Get ready because if you're not on this train, I will guarantee you will get run, by it, run over by it. Hmm. Very good. Parting words. Syed Hussein, the Chief Commercial Officer for BankX. Thank you for joining us on our program today. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me. Will, uh, any closing final thoughts? Nothing from me. This was great. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, you've been listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 132. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Thanks to our guests, Syed Hussein, Will Peck. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We'll talk to you next week. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 